Wednesdays in chapter number three. I was trying to do a, a chapter a week and I do a big summary of that chapter each week. Uh, but the third chapter is just going to have to be broken in two weeks uh, because of how much it contains that's so important. So I'll give you a second to get there. Uh, Daniel chapter number three, as we continue our series of uh, unshakable in a shaken world. Um, so let me start off tonight with a question. Is it ever right for a Christian to disobey the law? More and more, we are faced with these type questions, and to be honest, it's no longer an idea, but it is a part of life. A number of disturbing trends in America society contribute to the conclusion of disobedience to the law. On one hand, we have the increasing uh, just craziness all over the world. Millions upon millions of unborn babies murdered each year through legal abortion. And we've arrived at a point in history where truth is only an objective really no longer exists. In other words, truth is, has become a personal um, thought. What is truth? Well, it's whatever I think it is. It's no longer a truth that we hold as a standard. It's whatever we think's truth. We just make it up as we go. Now, we don't, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, taken to the extreme, this means that nothing is right, nothing is wrong. Because if there is no truth, there is no right, there is no wrong. I think we can see that in our country today. I mean, if you was to ask me if it was right to abort babies, I would say no. You would ask someone else, they would possibly say, it's the woman's choice, it's right. So, we're living in that type of scenario It's the shifting sand of personal preference is what I like to call it. So in an increasing pagan society, is it ever right for Christians to feel compelled to disobey the law? For a long time, most of us have lived a life uh, uh, sort of a philosophy of live and let live. In other words, uh, as long as I'm not bothered, I'm not going to complain. Now, I know I'm not the only one that's ever said that before. As long as they don't bother me, I'm okay. But what do we do as we are now beginning to feel the pressure of all the years of just live and let live. And as we approach 
this subject tonight, let me suggest there's two basic principles that first and foremost should always guide our thinking. The first is Christians are obligated to be law-abiding citizens. We're obligated to do that. That's the heart of what we have been taught, and it is entirely correct. According to Romans 13, it teaches us clearly that we are to be obedient and law-abiding as citizens. God has instituted human government as a way of maintaining order in our society, and we are to obey the laws even when we don't like them. I love throwing the whole, uh, you've heard me do it before, but I love throwing the speed limit thing in there. Because although I believe I can do 50 in that 35, the law says I cannot. So if I do it, then I am technically not being a law-abiding citizen. So should we do that? No. We are to obey them. And as a a side note, uh, let me also add Romans 13 does not forbid lawful means of protest. It does not forbid lawful means of uh, complaining and due process and all that. We ought to use every legitimate means at our disposal to change unjust laws. We should. There's a way to handle it. But the key is our attitude, which must be uh, uh, one of the submission and respect, not one of angry rebellion. Let me, I'm going to put this in here every single message. Tearing down monuments and burning cities is not lawful protest. I don't care what nobody says. It's not God-honoring. That's not respectful. That's not being submissive. That's being bully, being a bully to other people that have stuck their head in the sand that needs to bring it right back out. I don't want to get on that rant, but I can. Two, believers living in a non-Christian world, we can expect conflict between the laws of man and the laws of God. Why? Because we are living in a non-Christian world. Fifty, a hundred years ago was a lot different than what we're living and seeing in today's time. All of you know that. Martin Luther talked about the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. We, as citizens of the kingdom of God, are are aliens living in the kingdom of this world. One is spiritual, one is earthly. And much of the time, uh, there's going to be conflict between those two kingdoms. That friction is always going to be there. But uh, uh, as it continues to grow in our day, the gap is getting bigger and bigger and bigger between the two kingdoms. And how are you and I to act in areas of law, public, morals, ethics, religion, medicine, education, as well as media? How do we respond to all that we see and hear? 
That's what I want to talk about tonight's message. Daniel 3 is the perfect place to describe such conflict that goes on in this world between the two kingdoms. So if you've got your Bible to Daniel chapter number 3, I want you to look at verse 17 with me tonight and 18. I'm going to use that as as my text in the next two weeks. You kids, go ahead. I didn't know y'all were going tonight, but y'all can be dismissed. 17, look what the Bible says. It says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, I'm going to stop right there because that is such power, right? But if not, but if not, notice those little words, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Let it be known, O king, I serve a God that can deliver me, but if he decides not to, I will not bow down to your God. I believe tonight that this is placed in the Bible for purpose, and I believe it's for purposes just as we are seeing right now. This story itself is so familiar that we can almost summarize it in a few words. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he makes this huge golden statue, possibly an image of himself, called all the leaders together, and then he orders everyone to bow down and worship this statue. When the band starts playing, everyone is to bow. When the band starts, people gather, sort of like church bells, and then they bow down to worship this image. This is what we find in the third chapter here. And all the whole area does this except for three Hebrew boys, teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when the king hears this of their disobedience, he calls them in and he gives them another chance to bow. But when they refuse a second time, he has them tossed into this fiery furnace. And what we know about this story is that the flames do not hurt them. As a matter of fact, the king called them out of the furnace congratulated them on their faith, and then he's going to promote them. It's a remarkable story. We all know it. But before we go any further, note two keys that I want us to know, uh, observations that I want us to know. First, refusing to bow down was a clear violation of the king's command. They re- that was a clear violation of his command. He was king. He had told them to do it. They, disobe- they, they were disobedient. Second, the basic issue involved was worship. Daniel 3 mentions worship 11 times. To bow down to this image 
was an act of worship. So even though it meant breaking the law, these three young men decided that they would rather die than violate their very own conscience. With all that in the background, the text itself tonight, I'm going to use a simple outline that I borrowed from Jerry Vines because after reading it, I realized this, it could not be improved any. So what are you going to preach on tonight? Preacher, they would not bow, they would not bend, and they would not burn. Number one, they would not bow. They would not bow. The image Nebuchadnezzar built, when you read it here, for sake of time, I just can't read it all. You read it on your own time, please. But let me tell you about it. It was 90 feet tall, and it was 9 foot wide, making it extremely tall, but really thin. I don't understand that, but that's, that's what the Bible tells us. 90 feet tall, 9 foot wide. All the leaders of the empire are required to be present on this day. Now, certainly... The number here was in the thousands. Uh, many commentators place it that well over a hundred of thousands of people would have gathered on this day. This was a, a remarkable day for the Babylonians. You've got to understand, this was, this was something that was just, just great, I mean, for the Babylonians. But yet, they all would gather there because they supported the king, they loved the king, they, 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 they wanted to worship this image that the king has made. At the appointed time, the band plays. And as soon as the band begins to play, the crowds fall to the ground. I don't know if you've ever seen anything about um, the, the, the Middle East or if you've ever uh, watched anything about their uh, Muslims and all of that over there, but when the horn blows over there, people stop and they bow. When the horn blows over there, people stop. They pull out their little rugs and they bow. This is very similar to that. Except for they're looking at a big statue and they're just, they're bowing at this time. These three young men are teenagers that will not bend or will not bow is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And evidently, they didn't say or do anything. The Bible doesn't record that they uh, shouted, I'm not going to do it. The Bible doesn't record that they went up to the golden image and they shook it and said, we're going to tear it down. It doesn't, it doesn't say any of that. What it does say is that they remained standing. They just stood there silently as everyone else bowed to the ground. Now, before we go on, I want to look at a few things tonight, uh, some reasons they might have given for following the crowd. Why, preacher? Because I think that's important because I get tired of hearing excuses. So here's some reasons that they, they could have said this, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. They could have said that. When in Babylon, in other words, when I'm hanging around this sort of crowd, I'll do what this crowd does. Somebody say amen right there. When I'm running with this crowd, I'll do what they do. When I'm running with my church crowd, I'll do what they do. Let me tell you this, folks, we can't mix the two. 
Thank you. When in Babylon, I'll just do it to Babylon. They could have said that. They could have said this. They could have said, we'll just pretend to bow down, but in our hearts, we're really standing up. <laughs> you know, we'll just pretend to bow down. That's so... Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. We'll be here all night if I don't move on. Hey, we'll just pretend. We'll bow down, but in our hearts, we're standing strong. Boy, I know too many Christians like that today. Say amen right there. They could have said that, or they could have said, boy, the king has been so good to us, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be ungrateful for us not to bow. They could have said that. They could have said, we're being forced against our will to bow. God's going to forgive us. Since, since our life is on the line, we know that God's going to forgive us. We might as well just go with the flow. They could have said, no one back in Jerusalem is ever going to know. <laughs> no, nobody. Nobody would never, ever know. I'll just go ahead and bow down right here. No one's ever going to know. They could have said, everybody else is bowing down. Everybody else is doing it. That's the problem with a lot of young folks today. Everybody else is doing it. I have that problem even at my seven-year-old. Well, Daddy, they were doing it too. I don't care. I'm not there. I tell her that. I'm not their daddy. They could have said that. Oh, Lord. They could have used my personal favorite... If we don't, we're going to die. But they didn't. They would not compromise. So you can always find an excuse to compromise. You can always find an excuse. I mean, there's all... Look, let me, let, let me, let me, listen to me, folks. The devil will give you every excuse in the world to compromise what you believe. This world we live in, this society we live in, will always give you an excuse of why you should compromise, why you should do the things that inside of your heart you know is not right. The world will always give you an excuse. But they refused. What they did not do, they did not bow. They did not bow, but they also held no rights. They did no demonstrations. They did no press conference. They did no abusive language. They did no violence. They did not resist arrest. They did not run away. They did no lying about their actions. They did not request any uh, uh, major news outlet to come and see the brutality that was going on. No, they, they, they did not attempt to overthrow the king. They did not attempt to have him impeached. All they did was take a stand for what they believe. When they disobeyed, they did it openly. Boy, I can respect somebody that does something openly other than trying to hide it. They did it openly. They were accused of three crimes. Having no respect for the king, not true. Not true at all. They respected the king. Refusal to serve the Babylonian gods, that's true. Refusal to worship the golden image, and that's true. Those were the crimes. Two of those were true. Now, this upsets the king, and he offers them a second chance. 
He warns them. Is it not funny how, how, how so many people in high places like to use fear to get people to do what they want? Say amen, Scott. You know what I'm talking about. Is it not funny that people like to use fear to get other people to do exactly what they want? So he gives them a second chance. He says, okay, you goofed up the first time. You didn't get it. I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace. I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to throw you in the furnace if you don't do it. Well, once again, they're not going to do it. The king clearly saw that this was a spiritual issue. He knew if they bowed down, he had them where he wanted them. He knew they would be submitting to him and his gods. Let me tell you this. I, I, I'm sorry, we're going to get there. The moment you compromise your spiritual integrity, the enemy knows he has you. The very moment, Christian, you listen to me tonight. The very moment, the very moment we let society tell us and dictate what we do, they know we, they've got us. Boy, I thank God for those churches out in California that took a stand and said, you can find us, you can arrest us, you can do what you want to do. I'm going to the house of God. Hallelujah for them. Praise God for them. They took a stand on their rights and went to church. But the moment we compromise that, we've got them with fear. They would not bow down. Number two, they would not bend. These verses contain the only recorded words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego speaking with one voice. They make this remarkable voice of faith. That's our text, verse 17 and 18. They admitted their guilt. Well, in verse 16, they admit their guilt. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king of Nebuchadnezzar, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they said, We're guilty. We didn't do it. And then the second thing they did in verse 17, they affirmed their faith in God. And in 18, thirdly, they accepted God's will in advance. One problem we have with this story is that we know it so well, we, 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 we miss some very important parts. And, and here's a very important part right here. These young men had no idea if God was going to deliver them or not. They had no advance warning. They had no special revelation. They, 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 they had no angels that came and whispered to them, don't worry, God's going to deliver you. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. You stand. They had nothing. All they had was faith in a God that they said, we will not bend down to no one else except Him, even if it cost us our life. They had nothing else to go on. Let me make that point clearly. They didn't know what was going to happen. They just knew they would not compromise their faith. Mm. The only power the king had over them was death. 
think the Bible teaches us something about that. You don't fear man because all he can do is kill you. You fear the one that controls your body and your soul. In other words, I, I ain't leaving me tonight. Mm-hmm, mm, that's better than snuff. They would not bend. They would not bend. They were not afraid to die for the cause of Jesus. They were not, they, 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 they were not afraid uh, to die uh, because they had trusted their God so closely. They trusted Him so much. What can you do with men like that? Boy, what can you do with a church like that? What can you do with believers that will take a stand in the day we live in and say, we will not bow, we will not bend? You know why they had dry counties and things back in the old days? Because Bible-believing Christians stood up and said, we will not bow, we will not bend. This is my county. This is my territory. This is my country. This is, and nobody's going to take it away from us. You know why the world's gone haywire today? Nobody's standing up anymore and saying, this is mine. Nobody's standing, everybody's bowing. Everybody's bending. They were determined either way. God rescues them or if he don't, I'm going to take a stand. So many Christians want to make deals with God today. I've done it. Lord, I'll stand up for you as long as I don't lose my job. Lord, I'll stand up for you as long as my friends don't make fun of me. Lord, I'll stand up with you as long as I still get the promotion. Lord, I'll stand up for you as long as I don't get in trouble. Lord, I'll stand up with you as long as I still have a, uh, I'm still a success and I have a great career. God, I'll stand up for you as long as you put whatever your line is. God, I'll stand up for you as long as God doesn't make deals. He doesn't make deals. God, I'll stand up for you. You know, it's sort of like, you know, hugging the toilet. Lord, I'll never do this again. God doesn't make deals. He calls us to be faithful regardless of whatever the circumstances or situation or whatever happens. He wants us to be faithful. And these three young men, they do it. They were not afraid. Let me keep moving. It's about time. Number three, they would not burn. The remainder of this chapter, it tells what happened to them because of their courage. They were punished, verses 19 through 23. The end of the story is familiar to most of us. The king ordered the fire to be made seven times hotter than it's ever been uh, before. It was so hot that 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 that, that boy the, uh, the 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 flames that were there they they more or less were to you know cremate you on the spot because it was so hot. It's also important to remember that they were cast into that. 
They were cast into it. They were thrown into it. And they were not expecting to be delivered at this point. You know, I find it... <laughs> you ever notice how a lot of times, boy, your faith is up here. You got this faith God's going... But the, the longer he takes to do it, the less faith you have. Can you imagine these guys <laughs> taking a stand? Not going to bow down. God, if he delivers us, yay. If he don't, oh well. I can imagine them standing there with that furnace going, ah, boy. Hmm. This is it right here. But they were through in there. And that raises another question. Why does God let it go so far at times? You ever thought about that? Why does God let it go so far? I mean, why would God let it go so far? You would think verbally making a, a, a sound of taking a stand would do it. See, I'm going somewhere. Some of you already know. I see it on your face. You're like, oh, I know what he's saying. Sometimes verbally making that big stand, it's like, yeah, God, and you think you got God fooled, but God's like, no, nah, let's see how far he'll go. Let's see, let's, see, let's just see how, how, see, some of us go through stuff and we're like, why I don't, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to keep them. I'm gonna, until something comes on our way and then we start backing down. Sometimes God takes us to the limit. Why? Because he wants to truly show us what we really believe. And let me say this. The moment we cower down, the moment... The moment we begin to look at what they and go with the flow, the God really knows what we believe. The moment our compromise is made, God says, yeah, I'll show you what you really believe. But there's other questions. There's other good answers, too. He may have wanted to make a lasting impression on all the people. I don't know. He may want to demonstrate his great power in the flames. Uh, I like mine better, but they were punished. But then they preserved. In verses 24 through 27, this part of the story shows God uh, his amazing care for the servants. When Nebuchadnezzar looks into the flames, he, he expected to see the young men roasting to death, but instead he, he sees four people in the, in, in the fire. And he says, that, he said, the fourth one looks as if he's a son of God. In other words, uh, he said, there's Jesus walking around in the flames with them. They were preserved. Lastly, they were promoted. 28 and 30. The final three verses brings the story to a very happy conclusion. First, the king gives his own summary of the day's events. Verse 28. He says, boy, this is what just happened. <laughs> Whoo, mind-blowing. Look at this. Had one of them emojis where his head exploded right there. This is what just happened. Secondly, the king promotes their God. The pagan king starts bragging on God. Verse 29. Oh. And then thirdly, the, commune, the, 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 the king promotes them personally. I mean, I guess I would too. If I threw you in a fire and I saw you in there dancing around, I'd make you, I'd make you my chief of staff too. King promotes them. Now, 
Let me give you a few concluding thoughts here. We see the story. Let's go back to the original question and draw just a few conclusions about it. Christian and civil disobedience. In general, believers, we ought to be law-abiding citizens. Nothing in Daniel 3 challenges this insight. Even though the three young men disobeyed, they done it respectfully. Uh, 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 Christians ought to be good citizens, not law-breaking rebels. We should pray for our leaders. The Bible commands us to pray for our leaders. We should uh, we we should want to live peaceable lives. All this is in First Timothy chapter number two. You can read all about. It. We should want that. We should promote uh, uh, the uh, peace among everybody. We are right to disobey when the law of man brings us in violation with the law of God. When the law of man brings us into violation with what God has said, we are obligated to take a stand for the things of God. So now without losing our temper and making crazy scene of ourselves. This is, a, this is a very important point. If we get mad and we curse and we swear and we blow up and we threaten people and we want to start using violence, and, and, and we, we've already lost the battle. We've already lost the battle. God bless those Christians who can stand for Jesus without losing their cool. They are blessed and they are highly favored. Our job in Daniel 3, the lesson, our job is to be faithful and let God take care of the results. This is the biggest lesson for everybody here tonight, myself included. Be faithful, stand tall, obey God, live for Him. Do what is right, let God take care of everything else. Sometimes God protects us from the fire. Sometimes he protects us through the fire. Either way, we're going to be okay. No one likes to be thrown into a furnace. But if I'm going to be thrown into the furnace, boy, I'd rather be thrown into the furnace with Jesus. What outcome should we expect when we stand for what is right? Here we go. I'm done. We should expect to suffer for our convictions. You should expect to be ridiculed and made fun of and poked at. You should expect to be called, you know, nasty words by non-believers. You should expect that when you tell someone that, I'm sorry, but, you know, I love you, but I, I can't agree with your stance on abortion and homosexuality. I can't agree with your stance on that when your whole platform is that's what it is. I can't agree with that because I believe I believe all life is valuable when I can't believe in murder. You ought to expect to get called oh, which is a Bible thumper. We should understand 
that God may intervene to deliver us, but he's not obligated to. We got a lot going on in our country. God may intervene. He may, but he's not obligated to. He's not obligated to. He's blessed us for far too long with our unfaithfulness already. Somebody say amen. He's blessed us far too long. He's, he's not obligated to intervene. He may, but he may not. He may say, you know what? We're going to see how far y'all go. We should trust God to use our higher obedience to enhance his reputation in the world. In other words, somebody's watching you. Some believer's watching you. And somebody that's weak in faith is needing somebody to stand up and be strong in faith so they can have somebody to look up to. You know, it's what's wrong with a lot of families today. Daddy don't stand up no more. Daddy has no backbone. Mama has to do everything. It's another subject for another time. But let it be said for all of us tonight that we only did what we had done, that we did not go looking for trouble, but when forced to make a choice, we stand with God and not with man. I close with this final thought, and I'm done. Stand for Jesus tonight. If you get nothing else out of this message tonight, stand with Jesus because the world's throwing everything it can at you to compromise your faith, to compromise what we believe, to compromise our integrity, to compromise everything. It's throwing everything at you tonight. It's throwing it at our kids. It's throwing it at you. It's throwing it at me. No matter what may come, stand for Jesus tonight. I used to tell people, and it, it, was, it was dumb of me to say this at a time, but I'd tell people, either get in or get out. You know what I mean? And I know that's kind of rude to say. He's kind of ugly. It really is. I've calmed down in my older age. But when I first started preaching, I'd tell them either get in or get out. Quit with this uh, on the church pew Sunday and in the bar on Monday. Stop. Either get in or get out. I used to tell them that. Let's pray. Father, as we close tonight, we humble ourselves in your presence, thanking you, Lord, for this word. God, just what it teaches us, what it means to us, and we see the power of faith, and we see these, 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 these teenage boys refusing to bow down in a society that was completely shaken by paganism. God, they, they, were, they were ransacked their hometowns. They were taken to this Babylonian city. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. They were indoctrinated. They were taught to, to do as the Babylonians did. They, they had all the knowledge and wisdom of Babylonian culture, all those things. But when it came down to their faith, God, they would not bow, they would not bend, and they would not burn. Oh God, in the day in which we live in America, Lord, I pray today that you would give us the strength and the courage not to bow down not to bend and God we know that because of that we will not burn because of who you are 
God, I pray that you would help our church, strengthen our families, strengthen our community. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We hope the Word of God has been a help to you and an encouragement. Come back next Wednesday because next Wednesday we, we still got more stuff in Daniel 3.